and welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Um, today we have uh, Coach Deontay Gibson. He's the outside linebacker coach at the University of Akron. Coach, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Nick. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, Coach. I appreciate you coming on. Um, as we kind of talked before, you came. Oh, actually, we talked the past couple weeks. We're going to talk a little pass rush and use of hands today. Um, but before we get to that, uh, how did you end up at Akron? Let's start there. Um, yeah, so I, I was originally a um, – I'm a Cleveland guy. Um, so just kind of a backstory with me and the um, staff here is I've actually – I played at St. Ed's. And so what we used to do is we would have our mini camps in the summer. And Coach Cochran and uh, Coach Arthur and, and those guys, they were actually still um, – they were at John Carroll during that time. I think it was probably year two for them during that moment. So that was the first time I met them. But I, I remember Coach Cochran because he was the one that showed us around initially and then meeting a few other guys. And then eventually that took me to Northwestern, played there, and got the opportunity to go back and be a GA. And um, my coach, Adam Cushion, he was offensive line coach at the time. He got the opportunity to go down to Eastern Illinois um, after my second season as a graduate assistant. And he took me as a D-line coach. And, yeah, pretty much from there, had a good success, some great defensive success, not so much team success. We struggled that year, but we did a good job on defense, which – um, gave me the opportunity to um, pursue Akron. Yeah. Um, I, I had uh, Jaden Everett, who's not a, a Tulsa running backs coach. I reached out to him once uh, the former outside linebacker coach had the opportunity to um, to go back. I think he went back to Tennessee. And so I reached out to Jaden and see what was going on. And he had the opportunity to connect me with a couple of guys. And it was kind of a, a reconnection from way back when, when I was in high school. So <laughs> that's how I landed here. Well, I mean, it's funny how all that stuff comes full triangle because I actually talked to probably about half of Eastern Illinois' staff probably, oh, God, like a month or two, well, two or three months ago now when we set up our state clinic. And I, I think I filmed about half of them for our state clinic. So, um, like I said, they got a bunch of good guys there too. Um, but before we kind of get in the past, I mean, you mentioned playing at Northwestern and having the opportunity to get a great education there and play for Coach Fitzgerald. But what, what was that like? that experience to learn from Coach Fitzgerald while you were there? It was, it was really invaluable. I mean, Coach Fitz is, is what everyone uh, believes. He's one of those defensive, hard-nosed guys, and he really he looks at his, um, any, any of his former players. I mean, he's, yeah. he's pretty personable. He's a guy that I can reach out to at any point and reconnect with him. So that was that was a good thing about having an opportunity to play for him. And then, I, and then obviously going back and becoming a graduate assistant, I learned about him from a whole different angle. So yeah. He is exactly as advertised, which is a great thing. Most time when you hear something about that, it it might rub, it might be like, oh, I don't know. But no, he is as advertised. He's awesome. So, and you can see the success that he's had yeah. on the, pretty much since day one. So, doing a great job up there. Great guy. Now, how much of that stuff that you learned at Northwestern have you taken with you and continued to evolve to now where you're coaching? It was just uh, the level of expectations. Um, kind of imposing expectations from day one and, and seeing them through. That was something that was kind of beaten down into me as a young player. Um, and, and, I, and I eventually understood before my time, my playing career was over at Northwestern, how important it was to set the standard, to set all those expectations at day one and then have everybody rise to the standard. Don't don't dip the standard. Don't do anything towards the standard. You, I mean, once you set it in, make it set in stone and then trying to find ways to get people to that point as close as you can get them to it. Yeah. And, and hold them to it. And then 
ultimately when you can take the reins back as a coach and the players start imposing the standard on each other, that's when you really got some good success. So I, at this point now, I'm, we're, we're still in the stage of where I'm imposing the standard, but we're starting to transition to where I'm seeing players and within my room starting to get through to some guys. So it's been good to see this spring. Now, now you, you, know, you, you talked about setting a standard there. How do you structure your meeting rooms for for success? Okay, so um, I've, I've, I've dealt with uh, a couple, multiple different coaches of how they um, formulated success for meeting room organization and just how they go about um, relaying information. So I'm more a more common talk, more common speech um, type of person. So I don't want this. I'm not a professor. I'm not a. I'm educated, <laughs> but I'm not educated in the sense of being a, a teacher in, yeah. in, in a formality sense because I believe coaches are teachers. Yeah. So I try to make it as intense and far as how much information we get to retain, how it's related to them. But at the same time, I give a feel to where there's it's a it's really. I don't want to say comfortable because comfortable gives a weird connotation in football. Usually when you're comfortable in football, bad things happen, but it's a, it's a, it's a vibe and a feel for my room. That's more personable than anything. So I try to give my players as much as me as possible. And I relate the information and make it as available or relatable to them as possible too. Okay. Now, and then like I said, now we won't kind of get into it. Like I, I personally believe one, one, it's not, not that necessarily poorly taught, but it's, I don't think that it's executed as well. Obviously, I, I, one of the biggest focuses in high school football is still stopping the run. But part, at the same time, you have to be able to defend the pass. And I think pass rush and hand usage are probably two of the things high school kids struggle with the most, from my experience. Obviously, there's kids that excel at it. But I'm just saying the everyday high school kid, that, even the kid that might not go play college ball or the kid that goes play Division three, that's what they struggle with. Uh, let's let's before we get the passions, let's just talk hands in general. How do you how do you recommend high school coaches work on hands, develop hands? What is your kind of philosophy on hand usage? Let's just kind of go into that. So the, the first thing that I, I I think the the biggest point is is start from the ground up. Um, I think hands are important. I think they're extremely important, but I also think they're a little overrated okay. in the sense of, and I'm going to say that in a way that's. Well, you still very much are, they're viable, but they're overrated in the sense of guys spending X amount of dollars to go to a hand specialist and learn <laughs> 15,000 combinations of how to do this. When you haven't talked about yeah. how to tone, turn the corner, you haven't worked on ankle flexibility. You haven't worked on any hips towards a quarterback. You haven't worked on aiming points. So it gets confusing when, the, when you lead with the hands, but you forget the most important parts because you train in the weight room for eight or nine months to help translate power and speed on the field. And the first thing everybody thinks about is yeah. your hands and pass rush, and they forget all the work they've done before. Um, so I kind of work backwards. I think hand usage is important. I think hand activity is, is more important because hand usage and pass rush isn't violence, it's precision yeah. and it's efficiency. So guys that are really good with their hands tend to use the same move over and over. So. If you're a swipe guy, you continue to swipe through the motion of your of your of your rush. So, a lot of it, just a long-winded answer, is uh, I love to use hands, but I start with the feet first okay, to so, work with the hands. So let's hit in that a little more then, because if, if if the feet usage is, is the more important part of your developing a pass rusher, what 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 are your main coaching points there, and then how do you develop that from the meeting room to the field? Absolutely. So I, I start with a 
for me is a, a two by two attack point. I know a lot of coaches usually it's pretty standard for two yards outside, excuse me, two yards back behind the outside leg of offensive tackle if it's a tackle. Um, and then two yards right outside of it is that aiming point or the point of contact in which you should expect something to happen. Either the offensive tackle is going to jump out, he's going to set vertically on that spot, or he's just going to give you a smooth set where you got to pretty much get him off the spot, make him uncomfortable. And the fastest, the fastest point in which you can get to that and make them uncomfortable is better. Um, so I start with there from there. The stance I like to do is sprinter stance or more so. Uh, a heavy shin angle, kind of the one thing my uh, my former GA, he's now at uh, South Alabama, he kept harping on shin angle, which I really like the term of saying that, but because it goes <laughs> back to my training when I was yeah. working on combine drills, working shin angles, how to really bend and turn depending on the depth of your shin, shin angle. So I really preach that in their stances to get a fine shin angle almost over the toe, a, toe, a true sprinter stance, and they get out from there, exploding through their hands and hips, excuse me, their hips and their feet. And to get to that point of contact, from there, you want to get all movement is toward the quarterback. So as important it is to rush the person that's in front of you, that's blocking you, it's more important to relate your rush to who you're actually getting after. So they're almost – I know left tackles get paid a lot of money in the NFL, but I don't really care about what the <laughs> offensive lineman's doing. Because really they're all trying to essentially beat you to the same spot. Yeah. So it's not, it's not so much what they're doing, it's how we can make them uncomfortable at that spot while still keeping in relation to the quarterback. So – my big things are toe turn, hip down to the quarterback, active hands on the outside shoulder or whatever the attack point is for that particular rush. Okay. And I, I mean, I, I want to kind of go back real quick because you mentioned ankle flexibility there. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody maybe term it that way. What do you mean specifically when you talk ankle flexibility? It's probably more flexibility is probably a poor way to say just mobility okay. um really it's mobility so um for me pre-practice my guys do ankle mods so they they'll keep their foot firm in the ground and they'll rock forward to the right to the middle to the left and then they'll do calf stretches everything just to get that ankle and that achilles more mobile because the biggest thing is when you see guys try to turn a corner or guys try to do anything athletic where they're changing directions it's really easy for a lot of guys to stick with one foot and then convert that that power and that force outward the other way with good flexion and good power. But it's really tough at the high school level because a lot of guys are still coming into their own yeah. um, strength-wise. So if they have good mobility, it'll kind of make up for the lack of true power that they will possess later, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I does. think it's really important that guys really work on their ankle mobility. Because that way, when you do actually work the swipe, the chop, rip, the cross-arm chop, anything that you do, it'll all relate back down to your lower half. Because if you, if you can do a lot of moves, because if you watch a lot of pass rushers, you see them get pushed out. But when you slow down the tape, they actually beat the hands yeah. of the offensive tackle. The only reason why they get pushed out is because they can't turn the corner. Okay. And usually a lot of that's built on their ankle flexibility. So I'm big I'm big on figuring out how to turn the corner. So my guys, and they probably hate me a lot now, is <laughs> I get them through a hoop circuit every day. Oh, yeah. So we do hoops every day. And the closer you are to the hoop really explains and expresses how good it is for you to turn the corner, how how strong or how great your ankle flexibility is. And I've seen some great results, even as far as for us, we just finished practice 10. So I'm starting to see some good results for guys' ankle flexibility. So good. I'm really going to kick it in overdrive post-spring to really get those guys going because um, I think it's important. Now, now, would you consider then that the, the hoop drill to be your main – like if, 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 if a high school coach was limited on time – for, for pass rush, like, okay, they're going to go do seven on seven. We got five to ten minutes. 
Is that one of the things you would say you have to do during that time for a high school coach? Is that number one I, thing? I would say, yeah, if you can supplement, if you have cones where you can get a any kind of circular shape or, or a hoop yeah. type shape, deal arc type shape where the guys really have to bend down. So now you're getting them to express knee flexion where they can really see how, how tight guys' hips are. Can they really bend down there? Can they turn their ankles? Can they really pop? It turn a corner, and then at the end of every turn, for me, I tell my guys to pop out because it expresses, okay, you've been able to dip really low with your ankle. You've been turning a quarter with your hip. Now you got to actually convert that kind of power and that, that mobility outward in a really awkward sense uh, for, as far as body mechanics. It's not natural enough for them to do it. So it really shows, like, how strong that ankle really is because you might be able to get a turn, but can you pop out? and pop out of the hoop and come and come to balance in some form of yeah. fashion, that really expresses the power and it translates to, okay, I just ran the hoop, now I have to get to the quarterback. Yeah. So I think if you're a high school coach, I think you should work the hoop as much and as often as you can, as long as, and also incorporating a bag drill with it. So now you can work the, the hands along with all that. So the bags make sense to me once guys actually learn how to run a hoop. Because the first thing that guys do with the bags is, they whack it with as much power up here and forget everything down low. Yeah. So I think the bag essentially teaches bad habits if you don't have those lower body mechanics down. Um, so I really try to not leave with the bag. I think early on as a GA, I thought the bags were so important until I really looked at my guys' hips and their feet and how they were doing stuff. And it just was, it was a little backwards. So I, I started to think of the kind of process and um, pass rushes working from the ground up. Okay. Now, and, okay, so you, you and then how, that we talked our angle flexibility, moving on to more hip orient, oriented. How, how do you, obviously, the hoop, the hoop works multiple things, but, and you, and you talked about some of the calf raises and stuff you do to help warm up the legs and the ankles. How else are you working hip flexibility and hip movement throughout practice? That way, you got your guys can understand about flipping the hips and swinging. There you go. So, so after I get done with the hoop, um, even before the hoop, we have a bag drill work warm up circuit where I'll put three agile bags out and I'll put a cone at the top of the agile bag. So they'll go through, they'll go through the bags normal, like a normal speed through one foot at each toe. And once they get to a cone, I express from I'm at the top of the cone about three yards back. And I'm expressing down, left or right, and they have to convert there downward in the same way. So I'm kind of working those pass rush mechanics to change the directions, to dip in the hip, going there with different drills within the, within the agile bag. So I'll start with the speed through the bag, the shuffle, flip, flip down on the bags and, and kind of going that way. So that's another way for me. I work through the hips. And the first day I did it with some of my guys, it really revealed how stiff some of those guys were. Because um, it's really tough to side shuffle facing left all the way through each bag and then convert down to the to the cone so you have to flip yourself square to then flip back down um each each weather whichever direction that i'm pointing so that's another way i kind of get those guys some of those pass rush manufactured reps because there's only so many reps you can get in practice that's another way i kind of manufacture those reps as well as giving them an opportunity to work on some of that hip flexibility okay and then and the other thing i want to do i mean because you mentioned like three different moves you could do there is how much do you how do I wear this? Very your when you're teaching moves your your kids in terms of speed rushes, bull rushes, whatever type of rush you want to give. 
how much freedom do you give them and the variety of moves they have? What, what do you tell them on, okay, you, you get good at one, you develop a counter to that. Like, is there specific ones you prefer your kids to use or is it very depending on um, the athletes you have at the moment? I think it's a little bit of all, a little bit of all that, not to be a, give you a very dry general <laughs> answer. I think a lot of it's, first part is, okay, what type of kid are you? Are you a quick twitch guy? Because now that opens up a, quick, a couple of different moves. Are you more powerful? Are you a more powerful rusher? Because now I'll introduce you to that lane. But I cross-train everybody with speed first. Because I want I want them in their minds, especially from the outside linebacker perspective, is yes, I want us to be very powerful, but at the same time, we're not three techniques. So I don't need them speed rushing, I mean, power rushing the entire game. Yeah. Um, so I want them to get that illicit joke thought in their mind because that sets up anything anyway. So I cross-train with speed. But then I'll lean more towards the long arms and start general with just a long arm as a power rush. A speed to power, a one-two bow right into the guy with the with the long arm. Um, and then from the power rushes, I'll get into a, a long arm chop. So just stab, chop. And then I'll get them into a long arm club or long arm club, long arm lift, um, long arm pull. So now you're getting some of the counter moves. Off of that, just simply off of some of the basic things that you've done with the power. And the same thing revolves around speed to power. Just for me, I think it's a lot of it's being quick to contact and also quick to getting out of it. Because um, it's great to get a pressure, but it's always better to get a sack. Yeah. I think a lot of kids get caught up with pushing a pocket and forgetting to get off a, get off a block. Pushing a pocket is awesome, but it doesn't reveal anything if the quarterback's still able to release the ball. Because at that point, their guys still have a chance. I, I want to relinquish all any aspect of a chance they have once we're rushing. So I'm more hits than pressures. Either you get a hit or you get a sack. Pressures are great if you're throwing it out of bounds, but pressures suck <laughs> if you still complete it down the field. You know what I mean? So I, I get it. Yeah. So I'm a big I'm a big fan of completing everything. Now, now so. you you mentioned a long arm as as your as your base and you kind of build off of that. How do you teach the long arm to your kids and then how do you practice that as you go through? So I think the long arm kind of formulates what you do with a run game because yeah. you keep that inside arm into the sternum, the outside arm into the armpit or the peck of the, of the offensive tackle, offensive guard, and you're driving on that normally. That's what you normally do. So now I'm just relinquishing or taking away that outside arm, and I'm just really working on that down hand strong motion. So I really, really harp on that once we get into actual run game stuff. So I set up the long arm move via the run game. Yeah. Cause it's something they, they naturally do anyway, but now I'm just getting them to extend out on purpose. Now I'm just making it a little bit easier for them when they get in the pass rush instead of them feeling like, okay, I'm just bull rushing this guy. The long arm makes them feel a lot, a lot cleaner, a lot smoother off the edge. And it keeps them, and again, it keeps those guys at bay and it gives them a little more flexibility. Okay, now I can lift it. I can pull it or I can club it out. I can be a little more versatile. Um, so that's kind of how I formulate the long arm with my guys. We'll walk through it. Excuse me. We'll walk through it in um, a pre-individual, which we'll have a, kind of built into our individual meeting. So we'll actually walk through the guy getting a good shock, offensive lineman hankering down. So now we got to lift or club through or pull him through, either one. So I kind of just build it that way. Okay. And, and then the other thing I, I, I should have hit on earlier, and you mentioned you mentioned aiming points. I mean, what are your key points when you're talking about that? Because I, again, I think that's another coach thing at, at our level. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if you tell a guy, be one yard, one, yard, one to two yards outside of the outside foot of the, the target, 
and you're on point. That's the point of contact. If you actually get off the ball at high velocity, that's the point in which the offensive lineman has to make a decision on, am I going to continue to set or am I actually going to give you some hands? And if he continues to set heavy, now you got to start to think speed to power. And if he gives you some hands, now you got the combination of hands that we kind of work through, through individual. But the biggest thing is just aligning for success in regards to um, just being in that that two-by-two, two, I call it, off of the offensive tackle if it's a pass rush situation. And then generally, we like to be outside shade of guys and rushing half a man. We like to set edges on half a man. So we, we also want to be in a position to play the pass rush, convert the pass rush the same way. Yeah. And then, I mean, just out of curiosity, how much practice, how much individual time, because you're obviously coaching outside backers, how much individual time do you guys, you typically get in practice? Because it's kind of like that weird position of like a tight end on offense where I, you got to go work with D-line for this. You got to go work with secondary for coverage on this. Um, kind of like a tight end on offense with, oh, I need to go O-line here and go with pass game here. How much time do you get in um, – Kind of, and I'll and I'll double back on that as well. Is uh, what recommendations do you have for high school coaches who are kind of that same problem where I'm split between two things and I have limited time? Um, so for us, we 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 get about during the season. I'll probably get 15, 20 minutes of individual, and then from there, um, I try to express some of those quick drills. I make them so now in spring ball, I get about six, seven periods of individual, so I can space it out a little cleaner. But during the season. I'll reduce some of those drills um, to about a minute and a half to get more product, to get more more high intensity, less reps, and then pick them up in team because we'll actually get more team reps there. But um, I think the real, the big thing is you got to divide the day up well. Um, Mondays we do corrections and walkthroughs, and Tuesdays it'll be your first down days, your heavy, your heavy run day. So that that sends my individuals more geared towards okay, how can we stop the run for this particular opponent? So doing more run heavy drills, but also never neglecting those eyes, ankles, hips, and feet that we start off with, those drills are my EDDs, everyday drills. Those will be at least the first 15 minutes, of, excuse me, the first five minutes of individual. And then from there, building out your individual based off of the day. So for mine, on a Tuesday, we'll be more built on run game, but not neglecting those those little drills that I know will really help give them that extra bump and pass rush. And then I'll end off an in, uh, individual with some form of a pass rush drill, just so that my guys are always thinking, okay, we're, we're one of the more agile and more athletic guys on the, on the team. So we got to be more pass conscious than anybody because you don't build a three, four defense for non pass rushing outside linebackers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it kind of, it kind of is why you run it. So yeah. really try to really hone on those guys to be more pass conscious than anything, being yeah. physical, but being more violent and, and more active in, in pass game. And then on Wednesdays, we do pretty much all pass. I mean, right. I still got my run EDDs that I do. But then I'll start to cater more towards our pass rush principles and some of those games and and whatever may be with those guys. Okay, and then I I, I mean I, I had two more questions for you, Coach, before we start wrapping up. And you mentioned something there, and I, I haven't hit on it, and that's partly my fault. Is you mentioned eyes there? How, what do you talk about when you're talking eyes with your outside backers? And I know that kind of vary because obviously they're outside backers. You're going there's some areas where you're worrying about pass coverage, or some areas you're working for run. But I mean, run or pass rush. When you're but when you're talking pass rush, where do you tell them eyes in terms of where to look and how to adjust? So I tell my guys, you know, you look from the hip into the into the outside arm and out to the tackle. Um, so we, I try to watch film on guys. Are they are they inside hand setters? So will they set? Will they punch with their inside hand? 
or they punch with their outside hand. And we kind of look from the hip all the way through to the first lever. And then you hit on, as everybody talks about, you got your wrist, your forearm, and your elbow. Which one of those things you want to kind of be more conducive or more zeroed in on to, to contacting? And I really hit on brushing a half a man. I think that's the most important thing ever. I think if you can really detail that as clean as you can, guys will do align guys for success. Guys are not even as great as great of athletes. We'll be able to beat people around the edge if they just focus on just the outside hip of the offensive tackle and those and that outside lever, whatever that is, whatever it may be, that's the first point of contact for them. It's kind of what I get those guys to really hone in on. And so you attack that. Um, and if they don't give you hands, you keep running and you work you work into them more because as we all know, run down, they want you, they want you close, pass through passive downs, they want to keep you at bay. So we want to eat up some of that space. So yeah. I think it's important that they go from hip all the way up to that outside lever, whatever that first point of contact lever is for them. All right. And then I'd like to the last two I got for you is, um, for, first, first I want to ask, like, who do you, I mean, obviously being a younger coach um, and you have developed some great contacts, who do you reach out to or watch each off, each offseason or during the season to help um, professionally develop? It's a weird word for coaches, but – I mean, that's more of a like, it, it is, it's just, it's, it's, but we, I mean, typically that's, that's state for like education or heck, like the business world. Whereas, but who do you go to or, or ask or bug to, to kind of help develop yourself? A lot of my, a lot of my stuff is based on what I've learned and, and how I um, adjusted as a pass rusher. I'm still relatively fresh off the, the playing career. So it's a lot of stuff that I remember. Um, but that's my basis of knowledge. But then I've really leaned on former some of the former players that I've either been, been able to coach with or guys that, have, that are achieving now. Some of my great friends are in the NFL. Some of the things that they've been taught by some of their D-line coaches and what they've been, seen, been seeing from uh, from set from the guys that our guys typically just want to be like. They strive to be in the NFL, so I lean on NFL players. Okay, what do you see? How do you formulate your pass rush plan? What do you guys go through to kind of make yourself a little bit better? And then from there, if it's if it's something that's more conducive to what I can provide for my players, I adapt to it. And if it's something that's not, I still take heed to it and I put them on tape. So yeah. one of my guys I lean on a lot is uh, my guy Fadio Dimibo. He's now with the with the Giants now, so I'd be really interested with Coach Spencer because he was at Penn State. So I used to watch Penn State a good amount too. So he did a great job there as a yeah. defensive line coach. So I'll watch I'll watch some of his stuff. Um, for me, last year a lot of the stuff I, I looked at was from the Vikings. And then this year, I'm still going to keen in on the Vikings because I think Coach Patterson is awesome. But I'm also going <laughs> to lean more towards uh, what the Giants do because I, I do I do have an admiration for what Coach Spencer was doing when he was at Penn State. And so my guy's there now, so yeah. I'll lean on him. And I got a couple other NFL guys that I reach out to All throughout right. the year and see how they how they look. And I had the opportunity to pursue it um, during my playing career, so I check out the defensive line coach that um, that I play for. He's at the 49ers now, so. I watch some 49er tape just to see what what those guys are doing with their hands, their hips, and their feet. Okay. And I just remember some of the stuff he taught me that I still got down in those notebooks. So, yeah, <laughs> I try to lean on the league, man. I think the league's important. Yeah. If you want to get to the league, my guy, my guys want to get to the league. I I got to learn how those guys are working so that I can get them there. And then last question kind of builds off of that because that I mean that's obviously who you talk to and lean on. But what does your like off season look like in terms of okay? This is what we did well. This is what we did bad. This is what, what we need to prove. Obviously, and this is how I can help scheme wise. And 
Um, obviously, you guys have some great resources up there. Like, like, like we talked before we came on, I talked to Rich the other day, who does a lot of that data and analysis stuff for you guys. But when you're, when you're, what is your process? What is your specific process for? Okay, I'm gonna go back and look at. It could be your coverage drops, your pass rush, your run game engagement. What does that process look for you in terms of? Okay, this is what I taught well. This is what I need to work on teaching and improve, work on improved teaching. Uh, some of the things I do, um, I evaluate practice every day. Um, so if a drill didn't didn't translate, I throw it away, um, or I'll or I'll tweak the drill. But if it if it completely doesn't um, kind of produce some sort of level of understanding to help guys play fast, I eliminate it. Um, yeah. And I think the biggest thing I evaluate is how my guys playing versus what I'm teaching them in the individual. Um, I, I I don't know. I'm not a arrogant guy I don't think that great highly of myself but I think I'm confident enough to get those guys to a level yeah. in which they can play at a great clip but if they aren't doing that that's an indication of what I'm teaching them so I, I'm probably more critical on who I am and what I'm doing than I am on my guys because I'm responsible for them ultimately so I try to make things more conducive to how they move around how they how they live there football lives and, and make it a lot easier for them. So I do a lot for me. I do a, a ton of Vizio now and, <laughs> and little notes and everything. I'm like the G, I'm like a GA. Okay. I, that, yeah. That's how I learned. And and I think a lot of that and giving them little cut-ups here and there when they need it and, and kind of meeting them in the learning process. I think the, the biggest thing as a coach is it's less about me and it's how much can I do for them? Like what helps them? Because yeah. if something's, something I'm doing, even though it's a good drill, I know it works for um, XYZ NFL player and it's why they're succeeding. It's not working for my guys. There's no need for them to do it. I need to do something else. So I'm I'm more so just critical on who I am, what I represent less about them. Because again, I'm working with 18 year olds and at best I might get a 22 year old guy that's been in a program for a while and that's some experience and a guy that can really do something. But it, I'll be I'll be pretty dumb and for lack of a better word to put all the blame on some 18 to 22 year olds that can't get something done because guess who's teaching them? You yeah. Know? You are who you teach. Yep. <laughs> I, I know this great coach. And then the last thing I got for you is what, what advice would you give high school D line coaches just, or outside linebacker coaches um, just in general? Anything, do you have any advice you recommend for any, it could be young, old, doesn't really matter. Do you, do you have any advice? Um, the biggest thing I would say is, um, that I've learned, especially with this generation. I sound, sound so weird saying that because I'm not that much older than some of these guys, but I feel like I entered in, like, wherever I was and wherever they're at, we're living two totally different lives, even though I'm not that much older than them. Yeah. Um, I think as much as you you admonish them or you get on them, you have to praise them just a little bit more. So you got you to gotta praise the little successes. So if it was a drill in which – well, it was something that you saw on tape, and you're like, man, you need to do this. This translates to individual. Be better at individual. They're actually better at individual that day, and then the drill translate. You got to say something about that because that's, yeah. that's important. These guys need to hear that you that they're doing a good job. I mean, be quite frank with you. They're human. As much as we want to be, they want them to be gladiators, be super tough, and be hard-nosed and everything. At the same time, you got you to take care of them. You got to tell them they're doing a good job, um, which I think is important. I don't think you need to blow smoke up on because I don't. You don't want to. You don't want to give them a false sense of who they are. But at the same time, when they do something great, you gotta love them up. You gotta love them up, and you gotta let them let them let it go and do it again. Same way that if they mess something up, 
all right, get on them. All right, now let's fix it. Kind of move on. So kind of giving them that mindset of like, yeah, I can do this. And yeah, I messed up, but it don't matter. Kind of works twofold. Uh, coaches, that was another episode of the Gap Downbacker Podcast. Please um, not only check out our sponsors and affiliates below, but also please, uh, Coach's Twitter is below. Give him a follow. Reach out to Coach. Coach is fantastic. He got back to me almost immediately. Um, so if you have any questions for him or want to keep an eye on what they're doing up at the University of Akron, um, please, get, like I said, give him a follow. Give their other coaches a follow. Uh, check them out. Um, again, check out our sponsor affiliates. Again, if you want whether you're watching the video or listening to the audio version, the tags will be in the bio. So if there's any point in this specific conversation you want to re, uh, look back at and re-listen to or watch or however you want to do it, um, please uh, go, go down there, check that out. Um, and otherwise, uh, like, subscribe, share so other coaches can find Coach and kind of listen to kind of uh, what he was talking about and help develop pass rushes for high school and college coaches. Uh, thank you. And that was another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Oh,